You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. And welcome to another episode of Doing It For The Exposure, the show that's a healthy dose of both fact and fiction. I'm your host, Mannequin Blue, and today's special guest is writer and comic creator, Paul Carroll. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Surviving lockdown, which is a tiring <laughs> experience in itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how many years has it been now? W- one normal time, 10 lockdown time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it feels like last March was about six years ago, but also last week. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. That's I, that's all I have to say is just, I don't like it. It feels like I should be more productive during all that time. But then it also feels like the time just disappears. <laughs> well, I, so I nothing th- gets done. <laughs> I think that's the trap we've all fallen into at this point is like, gosh, I should be more productive now. Yeah, I mean, like, because I, I finished up in two separate jobs last year, one in January and then one in March because of the pandemic. And I thought, great, 24-7, I can do whatever I want. And do you think anything happened? <laughs> it, it took a full eight months to really get my butt in gear. <laughs> well, no, in fairness now, you could do anything you wanted. It just turned out that the thing you really wanted to do was nothing. Well, the thing to do was go to conventions or go outside and meet people. <laughs> I couldn't do those things <laughs> yeah no that, that's a fair point but so you are a writer and a comic creator so do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah I guess the, the big question people might ask is why distinguish between the two because sometimes I'll, I'll try to do comics by myself which is why I separate it but also if I tell people I write comics or tell people I write prose fiction they tend to forget about the other one. Whereas I feel like if I if I call myself a writer and a comic creator, at least then it says I'm people people might automatically assume that there's two separate things. And it means that I then get to to, to annoy people by talking about my books comics. <laughs> <laughs> so I I write mostly science fiction fantasy, but like within sub subgenres of them. So like there's a lot of paranormal stuff in my prose fiction, whereas my comics might lean more towards not necessarily like high fantasy but I tend to be able to just mess around a bit with the fantastical a bit and you know there'll be superhero stuff mixed in which is superheroes are kind of a fantasy genre even though some people think of them as science fiction but most of what they do doesn't make any sense and then I have Meowch which is an action comedy which is nothing like what I could write in prose because a big part of the comics is how the artist then creates the visuals that I would otherwise need to describe and it doesn't work as well in prose as it would in comics so like Gareth really messes around with me out to put in a lot of visual gags especially like the second issue he's been sending me his pencils for it just like the past few days before we're recording this and there's stuff popping up into it that I didn't put into the script like when the when the the cats in the comic because there's a lot of cats in the comic as the, the title might suggest is 
jumping into screen with like a chicken a chicken leg with a bite taken out of it <laughs> that's not in the script <laughs> it's just because he's a tubby cat he put it in <laughs> so there's there's kind of artistic license taken with it a bit yeah especially with that and with the wren because they're they're like they're, they were partnerships set up from the get-go or in my case i joined the wren later on as the writer but there's there's a lot less of this is how I want to present my work and more we're working together to create this thing. Whereas with the likes of the sci-fi comics I do with Plexus. Now I do give a lot of freedom to the artist, but there there'll be I think people take fewer chances on something when they're they're hired to do it as the artist. So like because myself and Gareth both set up me out as the entity. He, he will take some freedom to do whatever he wants with some of the art, so long as the story is being told. But the likes of Rebecca Reynolds or Barry O'Sullivan or Donna Black, who I'm working with them all in stories for Plexus, they, they they will do the things within their own style, and they'll but they'll they'll stick to the script, and they tend not to deviate away from what I've asked the plot to follow. But like they they still create their own sort of they still create the story as people are going to read it if that makes sense. Donna's art is, is all completely mental, which is why I hired her. Like, it's, it's mixed media stuff. And I had Barry draw a comic with almost no backgrounds because the character's jumping around this world that's falling apart. So there's a lot of chaotic scenes in the fact that I needed someone who could draw action scenes to draw, even though there's not a lot of action. It's, it's one character trying to escape the end of the world. And it, it, it's the sort of thing that doesn't work in prose, but works beautifully in comics because you have this full page to create an illustrated story that words just can't do it justice. The words are there to guide the artist, and then that's it. They, aside from the dialogue, the audience doesn't need to see anything else. They just see what the artist actually creates out of the script. I love comics. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's actually fascinating, because I'm, I'm just thinking... You're probably one of the one of the few people we've had on the show, probably apart from bands, that would regularly collaborate with other people. And I'm just kind of curious, how does that work? Like, do you you set the scene obviously with the script and the the writing and stuff, and then do you bring them in, or is there a level of kind of you get an idea and you approach someone first and you work it out together, or like just sorry, this is too many questions at once. No, it's fine. So for me, I will tend to send like a one page pitch to an artist that I'm interested in working in before I write a script. So they they have like a, a rough breakdown of the pages, literally like a one line thing, just so they can see that I have pacing in mind for the story and like a full outline of the story, what sort of tone I'm looking for. So they can decide before anything's written, if it's for them or if they want any sort of input in how the story is going to be told from the script point of view they can say it before I write anything so I, I pitched something to Leanne Hamilton and she just had a couple of suggestions just she wanted the thing to be much more adventurous than I was making like she really wanted to push the boat on the comic so it was something I was able to take into account before I wrote the script not everyone would make those sorts of requests other times it's just how mad can I go on this like Donna really wanted to let loose on it and you know Donna got to create some monsters for the comic which even though it's a sci-fi comic it was dealing with illusion and false reality so she got to she got to really mess around with how things were looking in the comic and mostly her questions were centered around 
how mental can I go with this as long as I stick with the story like she, she changed some of the visuals I'd asked for but I, I went with her for a reason I know it's because of the visuals that she can create so it's as a writer when you're looking to collaborate with an artist you're looking for someone who not, not just like their art what, what it looks like at the end but also if you're familiar with their process that's the sort of person you look for as well like I, I knew Donna would, would do her own thing and I wanted her to and that's why I approached her whereas with prose you're stuck with yourself in your own head so there's <laughs> there's not a lot of collaboration there <laughs> but it's, it's a nice it's a nice mental shift to have the two because sometimes you just want to sometimes you want full control and other times you want you want someone else to help tell the story in a better way yeah yeah I get that completely like sometimes just you have you know an idea or a project and you're like this is my baby I have to do it myself somebody else is gonna mess it up and then other times you're just like that person like is perfect for this thing that I want to do yeah and that's it and it's not even like with the pros it's not even afraid of someone messing it up it's more afraid that somebody might interpret something different and it'll change the way the story is told to a way that you don't want it to be told so it might still be a good story at the end but it's not the story you wanted to tell and I guess that's where some writers can get very finicky when they're collaborating with people on comics because they they really need to spell it out in some cases like there, there are very few writers that I know in the small press scene who are so specific they will give out if an artist does something different but if if there's something that they definitely want to keep and something that has to be there they'll say it like it's it, it doesn't happen often because honestly most writers in small press are just grateful to have someone say to work on the script with them but when it does happen it's it's definitely a case of like you set down the very small boundary of the the one thing that has to happen and then and then, then you let someone make or break it and you kind of just accept that you, you the decision you made to contact them in the first place is either going to be the right one or the wrong one i've never been disappointed thankfully but <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I, I'd say communicate, like I always say that communication is key, but especially with when you're trusting somebody with something so important to you. Mm. I mean, every every artist has their own different style of how they collaborate as well. Like for some, it is just one or two emails back and forth. First time I collaborated with Claire Foley, we literally went for a coffee and we sat down and we talked through the script for about an hour and it was only four pages, but it was it was how she could get it into her head what I wanted to do with the story and like how I visualize characters, how I visualize the the colors and things like that, because Claire works in watercolor. So she was very focused on the visuals and what sort of impact I was trying to make with the comic. But with, with Garrett, sometimes I can have a 10 minute conversation with let me out and then you know, he'll turn around and you'll have a page layout that isn't necessarily what I would have imagined, but it's because he's playing with it. And I guess that that's the fun part of making comics. You get you get to see artists play with the work. For them, it's not, you know, it's, it's not it's not like they can just take out a camera and just, they're not shooting something that's there. They're not, it's not like some people make the, the filmmaking comics connection because they're both they both follow kind of a storyboard thing. But the artist is literally in control of everything. There's no there's no people there for them to manipulate. They have to put the people there. And they they have to control everything that happens. And assuming the script isn't you know an Alan Moore script where it's a full page for a single panel. They got very little to go on when I watch it happen. 
it's it's my favorite part of, of working in comics just seeing the seeing something develop from the script because like especially Meowch was the first big project that I had for that so it was, the first issue was 20 pages so I'd send Gareth a 20 page script and then by the end of it we had 20 black and white pages which were then coloured by Joe and then lettered by Hass and it was just this layering of different people's contributions to the story and even though people don't see letters as having a huge part in the comic because they don't understand the, the the role of it, which is fair from an outside point of view. People don't understand the role of letters that well, but there were jokes in the comic that didn't exist until Hass put them in. Like there's a caption for a location in one of the pages and Gareth had drawn the moon in the background, Joe colored it nice and bright. So Hassan put the shadow of the caption onto the floor in the room. We didn't ask him to, he just did it. It was like, because th- there's a lot of fourth wall breaking stuff in the comics. And he's like, yeah, I want to do this thing. This is going to be fun. <laughs> it kind of sounds a bit, just from my perspective, it kind of sounds a bit like you're a director almost. Director and audience at the same time. Because it's, it's like you, you direct the start of it and then you, you turn your back and let people do their job. And then when you turn back around, it's done. And unless there's changes that need to be made, which is very rare. Like if you've, if you've chosen the, the, the teammates, your collaborators from the start, like it's, it's where you need to actually request changes because you fixed them for a reason. But yeah, it's, it's fun. Like you, you turn around as a writer and suddenly this black and white script that you had has turned into this beautiful work of art and you feel guilty taking any credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I put my idea on a piece of paper and then it just happened. <laughs> yeah. So like, Especially with with me out because it's because it was a, a partnership between myself and Gareth from the very beginning. Like I do a lot of the the marketing and the just managing the sales of it between events because Gareth will do the, the big conventions, but I do a lot of the small ones as well in between. And that's just my way of trying to pull my weight after he's you know done the heavy lifting. So it's like the the writer in a in a collaboration on a book, especially where it's a case of like. I seven guards split revenue on the book. It's not a case of I pay him for it because he approached me with the idea to begin with rather than the other way around. But we're, we're a weird team. So I, I do a lot of like the admin and like booking up conventions and bringing the book to smaller conventions that he doesn't want to do so that we can get the, the book out there so that he gets the benefit of the sales without having to do all of that work as well. And at conventions, he can do commissions while I'm pitching the book to people. And to be fair, having a, a cutout of a cat holding two knives standing over the book has worked wonders for getting people to just stop and ask questions about it because they want to know what this murder cat is that's just standing over a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think anyone would definitely be fascinated by a murder cat. <laughs> There's two knives in his cheeky little face. <laughs> Why does a cat need knives? No one knows. <laughs> He's already got four of them on each hand. <laughs> <laughs> but so you've you've also you've kind of founded your own. Is it a, a publishing company or what would you call it? Limit Break Comics. Yeah, so we we call it a comic collective mm-hmm. because until until our most recent projects that we're doing, we have never taken submissions, and it, it, it's not a case that we'll ever take submissions of books because. We're not a we're not a, a company. We were we were just three individuals who needed to work together, especially because Gary is another writer in the group. So it's myself, Gareth Luby, and Gary Maloney, and Gary's another writer. So for him to try 
manage all of his own sales and conventions and everything by himself would be practically impossible because of the costs involved, especially because he was only just starting out. So we decided early on that we would form the collective for the three of us to publish everything under that we do together. So we have our own little brand and everything, but we manage everything separately. So like Gary completely funds his own books, like we fund my own books, but we publish them under Limit Break so that we can push everything together at the same time. So it, it becomes unified as everything reaches the public, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we did the same thing with Nerd to Know Media. You know, I I push my own show and everyone else pushes all their own shows and that kind of thing. But we we kind of house them together. Yeah, yeah. So you get it. So it's it's a similar sort of model. And I guess because we're we we generally operate under like where we have our own separate identities as writers and artists, but like they, we we end up basically pushing smaller books as well. Then so it's it, it's nearly like another branch out from that. Then. Like there's there's limit break and there's Paul and then there's Plexus as a third step out. And it's just it becomes a case of then each person tries to push everyone's books at a single convention. And sometimes you don't even have to. Someone will just come up and say, OK, I'll get them all, which is it's part of the reason why we did it, because I, I knew about the collective purchasing decisions that people can make. And I wanted that sort of benefit to pass along to well, not just onto my own books, but I wanted to be able to pass it on to, to Gary's books as well, because I know how conventions can be, because I used to run a market, so I knew what, I, I knew the minimum price he, he would have been paying for a table anywhere, and for him to make any sort of sales on his book, it benefited him and me to have everything on under the one label and on the same table, and now I have this next big project, which is, it's, it's the scary one, because it's it's the open submissions. <laughs> <laughs> That that's, that's turning roads, which kickstarting now, and we've thirty over thirty creators in it, which is insane. People were slagging me in a Zoom call. There's like a tiny little Zoom call between some comic people, and they're like, you know, trying to control artists is like herding cats, and I used to hurt thirty of them. <laughs> so I mean, it it it's it's going well at the like at the even at the point of recording where. I'm just about to launch the Kickstarter because quarantine time is weird and recording times for podcasts is weirder. Like e- even even at this point, it it's going well. We're like just getting responses from the different creators, and it's like there there's a, a nice little that we don't talk as a big group because I don't want the GDPR can't share thirty emails on everyone. But like there's there's a nice kind of familial response for it because I'd I'd COVID whenever I was responding to people's submissions. And I got a lot of well wishes back whenever I was telling people that they'd gotten into the anthology and like, and I was very formal with that as well. Like it was like, here, here are your dates. Here's all the info you need, all these different things. After the little disclaimer that I've COVID, so this might be really wordy or really formal. I don't even know <laughs> because I was, I was writing the email through a little brain fog in between naps, <laughs> but it's, it's a really nice team. And it's the biggest team I've had to manage in comics, well, in anything. But there's a, there's a huge mix of people, which is great. I got people from all over the world. I, I was going through the creator bios today for the social media. So they'll be, they'll, they'll have been popping up for a couple of weeks now by the time this goes live. And it was just nice to, to actually see the locations of some of the people because some of them, they don't have it easily available on their social media. But like there's 
there's a Canadian comic creator in the group and I didn't pick her because she was international. I wanted some international because I wanted to expand the reach of the comic outside of Ireland. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to have like Canadian and American and UK creators. And I think there's someone based in Australia, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It might have been pitch from Australia. I have brain fuzz because it's late at night. But there were there were pitches coming from everywhere. And it was it was such a, a cool response because it, it was our first first ever open submissions we've we've done for a project. So like there is there's nothing that pe- for people to say, okay, they know exactly what they're doing. Because every book we've done before this has been 20 odd pages. Whereas this is going to be an 80 page perfect bound book, which is insane. Like we've 18 four page comics in it and then tiny bit of back matter. And that's that's a this is just a time of recording. So I don't even know if at some point if Kickstarter goes well, I'll have to add more into the end of that. We'll we'll see if that prediction comes true. But yeah, it's an exciting project. It's retelling of Irish folklore and legends. It seemed like some some of the Irish creators came out of retirement for it. Like people haven't seen a lot of new comics from Hugo Boylan or from Dave Hendrick in a while. And when both of them pitched, I was like, oh yes, like because they're 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 two of the big writers in Irish Popper's comics. And they were two people whose books I always loved to read. And then they both turned to focusing on pitching series to publishers. So their budget disappears for the smaller stuff. <laughs> so I, I get these new I get these new comics from creators that I admire, which is just it's a really exciting thing to have happened. And I get to work with Trina Farrell, who does work with Marvel, like a lot of work with Marvel. She's a colorist. So that was that was a big deal for me. Because I've I've known Trina since 2015 which is when I started taking, not taking an interest in the Irish comedy scene, but actually being able to get involved because I was no longer working weekends and I was doing a documentary about comics. So I interviewed Trina and this was before she'd gotten her professional work, before she made her big break. So now it's like six years later-ish. It would be six years by the time people get the book in their hands. That I went from when I first met Trina and it's just, it's mental to see like her career progression and then to get to work with her in such a short period of time after she's made her break at Marvel. I love Trina's colors. Like, I cannot understate that. <laughs> I, I turn into a bit of a fanboy when I'm looking through the, the comics that people are sending me. So it's it's a fun experience as an editor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Sending rejections was not fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it, it sounds amazing. And actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself. And just to peel the curtain back a little bit, because obviously we do pre-record the show, but now that we're doing it bi-monthly, we are actually recording a week before the show itself goes out. So just for anyone listening who is interested in the Kickstarter and wants to help fund you or get involved somehow, how long is that running for? It's, it'll be running for a month. So it's assuming everything goes correctly on Kickstarter, it'll be launching on the 24th of February. And then if I work it out correctly it goes on till about the 25th of March so a week after Paddy's Day. Brilliant yeah no we will definitely share that around as well because by the time this show goes out it'll it'll already be launched so we might as well jump in on it you know. Yeah. But that that's super exciting and I really genuinely hope it goes well for you because it's definitely something that I would be interested in myself. And there there are a lot of cool ideas that pitched me like I know I'm the editor, so I'm slightly biased for it, but like, slightly, slightly biased. Like, I was getting excited about a lot of these ideas being pitched. And that was the big difference between 
who I accepted and who I had to say no to because if people were pitching the same creature from mythology or the same story, I generally had to go towards the pitch that excited me most, especially if the portfolios were fairly balanced. So like this is this is a collection of stories that excites me. Like I really want people to see these stories when they're done, which is why I really wanted to get funded because otherwise book just doesn't exist. Like this Kickstarter is to pay people. (laughs) (laughs) People need to be paid for making their comics. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Not not just for this, for everything. People always need to be paid for making their comics. And, you know, if I get to be part of that culture where I, you know, tell people to pay their artists, pay their creative teams, then yes, all, all the more for it. Yeah, nobody wants to just be doing it for the exposure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Name drop, <laughs> roll credits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but speaking of paying people, <laughs> because you actually run your own, you run your own shop as well. Apart from the books and the comics, you do own a, a small greeting card company. Yeah, Red Box Cards, which I puzzle over the name for a solid two or three days. And then I looked up and I saw a fox somewhere in my room because I've got loads of fox things. And I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. Like there's literally this thing that I love right in front of me. Why don't I just name it after that? <laughs> and then it just felt natural after that. But yeah, red fox cards. Yeah, so it's, it's, it started off just greeting cards. And then I was like, you know what? I've got these sticker designs already done. And a lot of card designs work for bookmarks. So I just expanded into that and added pins well a pin now but there will be more because i love pins i love enamel pins i have an insanely large collection of enamel pins compared to this time last year and little writing guides i moved some of my like writing products into red fox just so they were in a marketplace that was actually moving and i've gotten some really nice reviews for like even just the the smallest of stickers people are just excited to get them because they're like especially there's like writing genre ones so it's a way for writers to say, you know, they, they, they can advertise to, to other people that this is what they write without having to be loud and annoying about it. Because writers do not like talking to people. We, we don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're just like freaking out right now that you have to do a, you know, a half an hour's worth of talking. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking about the hot chocolate I'm rewarding myself with at the end. <laughs> <laughs> writers bribe ourselves a lot it's how we get things done (laughs) we're like we're like dogs (laughs) oh that's brilliant but no seriously like for anyone listening at home if you want to support a small business I definitely recommend red fox cards like I I do occasionally purchase stuff there myself and I just love the the, even the goth cards they're my favorite like I'm biased I'm totally biased (laughs) I love doing the goth cards the Goss Valentine's card was one of my favorite things to do. I'd had the idea for about eight months before Valentine's Day. Like it was one of the first things I thought of after I released the first batch of cards. And I was like, why is it so far away from Valentine's Day? I want to do this card now. <laughs> <laughs> the goth ones, they're a lot of fun to do because like they, they do have the, the sort of grim thing, but they're also funny. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's definitely humor in them that people who are into that will go, Okay, I see the joke. It's not just this weird dark card. I <laughs> know. Yeah. Oh, I I genuinely love them. Like I gave one to my brother for his bir- his last birthday. I gave him. I think it was the one with the hourglass on it. And he was just oh, like, yes. "Are you are you trying to make me think about death?" 
<laughs> yes, it's why it gave me the hourglass with wings. That's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they are they're genuinely lovely. Honestly, I like I love them. I'm gonna have to get loads more. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're brilliant. But just moving on a little bit. So you also do a supernatural series of books. Yes, the Black Pages, which also didn't have a series title for about two or three years. And then it clicked in my head because I've already been using it in stories. So the Black Pages is in world. It is a phone book. It's, it's basically the supernatural version of the Yellow Pages. And it's where one of the characters has his services as a detective listed. That's where another one has his services as a necromancer listed, even though necromancy is slightly frowned upon. But the editors haven't figured out how to remove his ads. He's the pair of them have broken the rules and gotten their stuff in. And they can't figure out how to make the ads go away. Which, you know, it, I, I love introducing little bits of chaos into the stories like that. So the I, I currently have two sidelong arcs going. One is the magician and one is the reaper. So the magician is the detective. He's a magical detective. He's He's London-based, but tends to have to travel quite a bit. So the first book he's in brings him to Dublin, halfway through the book, because there's a monster in the Liffey. Yay! It's not just it's not just the rubbish. Yeah, there's an actual monster. A trolley monster. Um, yeah, the trolley monster. <laughs> and the the second book for him, which is it was due out in November and then didn't come out because lockdown time has pushed that back a few months. But he goes to America to the hidden 51st state called Despair, <laughs> which you can only access through the small town of Misery, Missouri. I love puns. I love <laughs> puns so much. <laughs> and then the, the second arc in the in the books. So they, they run concurrently. I started with Death in the Family, which is the Reaper. And then the preferred reading order is to go Reaper Magician, Reaper Magician, because I, I, I tease out more details that apply to both of them as each book goes on. So the Reaper follows a millennial who gets a job as a Reaper to pay off his parents' supernatural mortgage. Oh, but I'd sent it to a friend who is like an insanely fast reader. He was sending back, he sent back all of his notes in Mungo, but his notes were taken as he was reading the book. So there's a lot of commentary, like calling Ben an idiot, which he is a bit because he doesn't really pay attention all the time when he's supposed to. And at one point, Ian, who is the reader, he, he was like, is this a rom-com? This feels like a rom-com because Ben falls in love with somebody and he doesn't know why. He's, he's met her once and he falls in love with her. There's, there's whole magical reasons for it. And it's actually explained in the book. It's not just, there's a thing, oh, what's his name? Timothy Hickson. He has a, a thing for soft magic systems where the explanation is a wizard did it. So like there's, <laughs> act, there's, there's actual reasons for, some, for a lot of stuff that happens in the books. I just, I, I use the death in the family as like a commentary on corporate life in America because it's it's Ben's first like quote-unquote office job even if his his office is the afterlife and you know his clients are dead people but it, it's, all, it's a lot to do with like procedure and doing things correctly but also like what happens when you fall in love and how do you deal with the idea of there being no life after death and the concept of what there is after death which so like it, it became a weirdly philosophical project as I was writing it but it's, it's one of my favorite things to write. I, I, I really punish Ben a lot. Like, he, I gave him an anxiety disorder in the second book because of what happened in the first book. <laughs> like, I, I really punish him 
but I love writing. He's like he's he's really innocent and naive character who has this big responsibility that he wasn't really prepared to take on. But was that or his dad died. So it was, you know, there there were two ways to pay the mortgage. Take on the job or your dad is dead. So we took on the job. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Look, his parents made the deal in the first place. It was it, it was their mortgage. He's just paying it. <laughs> and you know, the I I I, I purposely gave them some stakes and, you know, the, the, the mortgage wasn't just to buy a house. It's not like a, a financial mortgage. It was, it was magical. And I can't remember what point in the series I explained what it was. So I can't remember if it was the first or second book. So I'm not going to say it here because I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the little, because I, I, I thought it was a nice detail. It was like one of the humanizing things. And like Ben's whole thing is that everything he does is for his family. It was, it was to keep his family as, you know, their, their whole unit of four plus a dog so like he, he's making this big sacrifice so that his family is still there so as I'm writing it I constantly have to remind myself to bring his thought patterns back to the household and the family and I got to have his family be concerned about him if he's gone for a few days because his job was just insane but because he has this magical sight with him he doesn't necessarily feel the exhaustion all the time he has something keeping him going that kind of just forces him into the job and it helped it makes it so that he loses track of who he is and his family ground him a lot so like it's a supernatural series but it, it, it's about the people especially the reaper books and they're just they, they were the thing that clicked in my head whenever i was struggling to write a few years ago and the whole story just unfolded and i think i wrote the first draft in about 10 days just like once i started i couldn't stop yeah, no, that's great. I and mean, it honestly, like it's always brilliant when you kind of you get a brainwave for something and then you get excited about it and then you're like, oh, I have to write all of this down now before I forget it. <laughs> and would you believe all of that was unscripted? So I just said, like, I haven't gotten to talk about these books in a year and a half because I always pitched them at conventions. And yeah, that was just exciting to get to do that. Yeah. I need more people to ask me about my books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make me want to write again (laughs) speaking of of people asking about your books if people want to keep up to date with you or maybe buy your books or just see what you're up to where's the best place to do that so i i have a website it's paulcarrollwriter.com and the homepage has a sign-up form for a newsletter i send it out every week it's fairly short and you get free short stories and stuff like that including some samples from a collection released last year in the hopes that I might have a convention to bring it to called Tales of the Fantastical. And I added time travel story into the bundle as well. So no matter what form you sign up on, you get free short stories and I'm always going to be adding to it. Yeah, brilliant. And we're going to share all your links as well. We'll we'll definitely make sure to do that. And if people want to join your Kickstarter as well, we'll share that too. Just before we finish up, is there anything that you would love to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, no, I, I just miss conventions. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah. <laughs> we, were talk- we were talking about this before we started recording. And it's been, it's been 18 months since we've had a, a big convention in Ireland. Yeah, I and think I think the last convention I was at was, it was last February. So it was like literally the last one before lockdown. And that was Shurikon. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had, I had Decaf's Christmas market in the December before lockdown. And Octacon and Decaf in the October. They're all quite small events, like Dublin Comic Con and Worldcon were the two events before that. Like I had two weeks of conventions, and then eighteen months later, still don't have a big one. 
<laughs> I mean, it was two solid weeks of being in the convention center. Like, I think, I think out of 10 days, I was there for seven. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, like it was, it was full on. And, and now I have nothing. My, my home away from home is closed. <laughs> now we have all this pent up energy. And, <laughs> and all I can do is buy pins with it. <laughs> When this comes out, I'll, I'll probably have put up my, my pin collection on my Twitter so people can see what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> it, and everyone it, should. It has been a crazy year for my collection. <laughs> <laughs> everyone should buy, you know, books and comics from Paul so that he can feed his crazy pin habit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it feels slightly like dodgy, but I set myself up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the banners now going like, oh my god there are so many <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good though you know it's, it's good to have a, a hobby in a collection that's you know good for you <laughs> <laughs> it's good for the soul at least <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly no there's there's no judgment here oh I'm judging myself writers <laughs> <laughs> are very good at that <laughs> <laughs> well there's, there's no judgment from us anyway yeah, so anyone listening at home, definitely check out Paul and his works and his collectives, Limit Break Comics. And also we didn't mention Cup on Fay as well. Yes, which is my writing group. We, we publish anthologies of short stories and we took a year off. We're taking 2021 off because we almost killed ourselves in, 20, in 2020 trying to do two of them in lockdown. And I think we, we're, we're a weird group writers where we, we need the human interaction, like the face-to-face -face interaction. Yeah. but only with each other <laughs> <laughs> so if, if we can get it back with each other then we can start to regard as holidays again and we won't go insane from it <laughs> <laughs> yeah de definitely check them out show them support tell them we sent you <laughs> <laughs> but listen paul it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and thank you so much for taking the time out thanks katie if you enjoyed this episode of Doing It For The Exposure and would like to hear more in the future, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-I-F-T-E Podcast. You can also check out our stream on nerdsnomedia.com. We stream bi-weekly on Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 